Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whatever time of day it is, wherever you're listening from. This is Chris Sheridan from BasketballNews.com, and this is The Sheridan Show. I'm really pleased to be joined today by uh, a great friend, a guy I've known and worked all over the, the world with in the business, Doug Smith from the Toronto Star. Uh, Doug has been covering the Raptors. He just finished his 25th season. He's been with them since the start. Maple Leaf Gardens, Sky Dome, Air Canada Center, whatever they're calling it now. And uh, Doug has a few stories to tell. And today we're going we're gonna to start with the uh, with new coach of the Indiana Pacers, Nate Bjorkman. Um, and, and Doug, uh, Nate comes off Nick Nurse's staff. And why don't you tell us maybe, uh, uh, you know, the, the most striking thing uh, that you can tell somebody about Nate? He is, he is the most positive, upbeat guy I've ever met. Everything is always good. We're always going to win. Everything's going to work out. He is really, really beloved by the players because he's always positive, always up. And uh, we talked to Kyle Lowry and, and Fred Van Vliet about him around All-Star break when they were going to coach in Chicago, and they both brought that up, that, that when things look a little bit bleak, Nate's always, Nate's always a guy who's sort of pumping you up. And I think with the Pacers, we don't know what they're going to be. We don't know who's going to be on the team. I, I think his attitude will probably help him out an awful lot. Yeah, Indiana's coming off getting swept out of the playoffs uh, two straight seasons, uh, Doug. And there's a lot of questions about whether Victor Oladipo is uh, is the guy you want to build your team around. He's got another year left on his deal. Um, it, what we've seen from Indiana in the playoffs the last few years is when they need a bucket, they don't have anybody to give the ball to. Um, they got a lot of solid players on that team, uh, but Malcolm Brogdon was certainly a, a, a real good signing, taking him away from the Milwaukee Bucks. He was tight with Giannis. They have the Holiday Brothers. They have Jeremy Lamb. Um, but they just don't have a, a guy you can just give the ball to and say, get out of the way, uh, because this guy's going to get your points. And you sort of need that if you're going to be a, a high-caliber team. Is it you, you think they need to uh, make a change in terms of who their go-to guy is, or you think Nate is the guy – it's funny they have another Nate now because <laughs> yeah, yeah. has gone. But you think Nate is a guy who can inspire a Victor Oladipo or a Domitus uh, Sabonis um, in a way that Nate McMillan maybe couldn't? I, I do think one thing Toronto Nate has going for him is that working for Nick Nurse has given him an ability to figure things out on the fly, game to game, play to play, quarter to quarter. That's one of, that's one of Nick Nurse's best uh, attributes is he, he, he figures things out as they're going along, and it might not be the same guy every night, but if you need a bucket, he's going to figure out what guy is going to get you a bucket when you need it. And if Nate's learned that from Nick Nurse, I think that's going to help because that Pacer team, there's a bit of there's flaws there. I'm not sure that, that Sabonis and, and, and uh, Miles work, work well together. Miles Turner, I don't think they work really well together. Uh, El, Oladipo is a question mark because you don't know how healthy he's ever going to be. Brogdon's really good, but he's what speed is athleticism is maybe a question mark. But I think Nate would get some creativity from Nick Nurse being around him for how they've worked together for better than almost 20 years. So if that aspect of, of Nurse's philosophy carries through, then I think Nate's going to be a big fit in Indiana, yeah. Were you surprised at all that Mike D'Antoni didn't get this job? Because Mike had kind of targeted Philadelphia and Indiana as the jobs that he wanted, and Mike's a uh, – you know, he's got a track record, you might say. And, uh, and and I know Mike believed that the the Indiana roster could play his brand of ball, small ball, and be successful. And we'd heard, we'd heard D'Antoni to Indiana 
months ago. I'm, I was really surprised that, that he didn't he didn't get the job. Yeah, we don't know what the machinations were with money, terms, um, responsibility, authority. That you know, we don't know obviously the inner workings of the Pacer organization. But yeah, Mike Mike Dandy had been around since well before the shutdown almost. So. I'm a little bit surprised, but, you know, maybe Mike's got something else going on. Maybe he's looking at – maybe New Orleans looks attractive to him. I know that's the other great job that's out there. You know, so maybe the pace was struck when they could when they had to strike. Yeah, it, it was very surprising. That, uh, that, and what I'm hearing is that maybe Mike targeted Philadelphia a little bit too hard, and then things changed quickly in the NBA, as we know from day to day. Doc Rivers became available, and – Philadelphia ownership scooped him right up. And now, um, you know, we'll see if Doc is the guy who can get Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to run an inbounds play at the end of a close game and uh, and get it right. <laughs> but, unless, uh, he's, unless he's willing and able to slap them around a little bit, I don't think – I don't like Doc's chances. And I love Doc. But uh, that's uh, – there's a lot of personality flaws on that Philly roster. We've seen an awful lot of them up here in Toronto. Yeah, well, it's – you know – Look, they had Jimmy Butler and they they lost him. Now they they have Tobias Harris and they're stuck with him. Um, and uh, they have Al Horford and they're probably stuck with him as well. Uh, it's going to be a challenge for Doc. Someone told me if Doc Rivers gets Austin Rivers on that team, um, then he's going to be a different coach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I know he did set the round of golf record inside the bubble in uh, in. Uh, Lake Buena Vista, but let, let's turn our attention to your team, Doug, the team you've been covering again for 25 full seasons, the Toronto Raptors. Uh, we're not able to defend their championship, um, but you know, look, Miami was, I think clearly the best team in the East this past season. Um, where do the Raptors go from here? They got uh, three key free agents and, and let's take them one at a time. They're Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, and Marcus Saul. Let's start with, with Fred because, um, he, he took less money to sign a shorter deal, and now he's maybe the number one point guard on the market. You think he stays, goes? What what factors into uh, his decision? Oh, I, I think he'll stay. I think they'll pay him whatever they got to pay him to keep him. I don't think any of the teams out there with money are very attractive at all to a point guard. You know, New York, Detroit, Phoenix. Phoenix maybe, but there aren't a lot of great options, and I think he loves Toronto. I think he likes playing for Nick. I think he works really well for another year with Kyle Lowry before Kyle's contract is up, and then it's his team to run. And I think the Raptors have to do whatever they have to do to keep him, because if not, then they're going into next year with a 35-year-old Kyle Lowry and no other point guard. So I think they're gonna, they got to get that one done. And you think they just go to him on the first day and say, listen, we're going we're gonna to max you? I'm not sure max money, but awful close to it. They're going to say here, you know, let's get to a very big number and start from there and figure it out. They can do it and still save money for the 2021 year if they do a bunch of one-year deals. So I think they, they've they set themselves up knowing that this summer was, let's pay Fred. Uh, even two years ago when they signed him, it was an, okay, we're going to have to pay. If he proves himself, and he has, absolutely, we're going to have to pay him big money and are willing to pay him big money. Yeah, I know the New York Knicks like him and are targeting him. Um, whether Fred stays or, or goes will impact which way the Knicks go. And there's a school of thought that says the Knicks will go after Chris Paul from Oklahoma City because they see that as one way to get Giannis Antetokounmpo should he turn down the Supermax free agency uh, deal that uh, – excuse me, the Supermax contract that the Milwaukee Bucks are certainly going to gonna offer him. Um, and 
What are your thoughts on that, Doug? Um, you know, Giannis, his team underperformed again in the playoffs. He, uh, he wants changes, but he's being nonspecific about what changes exactly he needs. Do you think at the, at the end of the – by the time the next season starts, he's signed the Supermax deal or he's uh, going into the final year of his contract? If I look around to what, what ownership has said it would do and what it's actually done, I'd be very leery of signing a Supermax. Because you know they did not pay Malcolm Brogdon simply because of money. It was, it was a tax issue. They didn't, and of all the guys they let go, his was I think the crucial blow to that team. And you know they're not they're not going to get any younger. And I'm not I'm not a I'm not the biggest Budenholzer fan in the history of basketball. And if I'm honest, uh, I need to see some tangible moves made before I do that supermax deal this this fall or winter or whenever whatever time of year they get around to doing it. I, I think Mark Lazary's got to got to do exactly what you said. He's got to make moves. Um, everyone knows that that Eric Bledsoe is uh, is someone that they're they're going to look to move. Um, there's a school of thought, or there's you know they're going to kick the tires on moving Chris Middleton too, uh, from what I'm told. And look, if you can put Bledsoe and Middleton together and bring back something along the lines of Drew Holiday and Derek Favors, if you did it with New Orleans. I mean, there's a hundred different permutations of, of what you could move those two for. Um, it, then I think they, they make Giannis happy. Um, but then again, you know, you're bringing, if you bring in a Drew Holiday, you, you know, you're getting a solid, he's a teammate of the year. He was just voted that by his peers. It's just a matter of what else comes back and, and what other trade options will be available out there to the Bucks. But uh, let's go back to the Raptors, uh, Doug. And move on to the next guy we were talking about who's going to be a free agent, Serge Ibaka. Uh, 31 years old. Um, you know, he, was, he came in with Oklahoma City. Man, if they had kept that team together, they had Harden. Let's not even get off on that tangent. <laughs> um, but with, uh, with Serge, uh, does he stay or does he go? I think – I, I don't think the Raptors will probably offer more than a one-year deal to save their flexibility for 2021 if they, if they do Fred. And this is all predicated on – the money tied up in Van Vliet this summer. They, they want to keep some flexibility for that big class coming at the end of next season. And if they could get Serge on a you – know, does whatever the number is for a one-year deal doesn't really matter because it's just money. Like they gave Kyle Lowry a one-year extension at $31 million last year. If they give Serge 27 or 28 on a one-year deal, he might take it. But I do think he's, he might have had his best season as an nba or last year. He played really, really well. And I think there's going to be teams out there that are going to look to certainly kick the tires on getting him. And he's a, he's a valuable piece. I don't think the Raptors would do a long-term deal on him, but it, I think he would, he would certainly listen to one year, let's run it back at a big, big number contract and then get in that class of 21 when everybody has money. And, uh, and let's turn to the last guy, Mark Gasol, who's now 35. Uh, we've, we've seen some epic, uh, Spain, United States uh-huh. games involving Mark uh, all over the world. But um, there was talk that he was going to go finish the, his career playing in Spain. Um, what's your reading on Mark and, and what he's going to be doing? I, I, I think he'll play in Spain. I, I don't know this, and a couple of guys I've talked to are, are kind of thinking that way. It kind of makes sense. He can play a year over there, play as many years as he wants to over there maybe play in Tokyo Olympics for another Olympic Games for him if there are Olympics because he wouldn't be able to in the NBA because I don't think the timing is going to work. And, you know, 35, 12 years in the NBA, won a championship, defensive player of the year, all-NBA guy. 
you know, maybe it's time to go and live my life with my two young kids in my home country. Yeah, he wouldn't be the first guy. You know, uh, there's some guys, some real good Spanish players, they just won't come over here. Sergio Rogo, point guard that Houston has, has had his rights forever. He's one of these guys that just doesn't want to leave Spain. Yeah, uh, he's another, he's, sir, uh, you know, Mark's another guy with the Raptors. If Ibaka doesn't want a one-year deal, they might throw a one-year deal at Mark. And then he might take it. You know, he's got the national team's coach, Sergio Scariolo, is here on Nick's staff. So there's a familiarity here. He likes the city. It's not like living in the other end of the world. Um, and if they don't get Ibaka, I think they would go out, they would try to see if they could get Mark to take a one-year deal for some continuity. And, you know, maybe at 34, 35, that, that's amenable to him. And if they if they to follow up with with where you're going, if they lose Ibaka, um, they're missing a key component. Um, it, do you see a guy out there that can replace him? Uh, I mean, would you go after a Montrez Arrow? Would you uh, would you go after an Aaron Baines? Uh, you know, where where exactly do you target? Uh, where do you go looking I, for for another center um, I, with the cap being what it, what it is? I think I think Harrell is an attractive possibility. No, he, he doesn't make a lot of money, so the, the raise he's going to command isn't going to put you into crazy money ter- territory. I'm not sure that the mix of the Clippers is a good thing, and maybe he wants to make a move. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but I think he would be a guy that they would look at. He seems to be a guy who would fit the philosophy, fit the, the team kind of concept they have up here. And if they don't have any bigs, if they lose both Ibaka and Gasol, they need some big guys. And he certainly – the if not one of the best guys out there on the market this summer or this fall. Yeah, the Clippers are gonna and Ty Lu is, is got to convince you know all those guys uh, to stay and to, uh, I don't you know they had probably the 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 best top to bottom uh, roster in the Western Conference and the flame out was epic being up three one against the Nuggets and then every single game game five six and seven they had a double digit lead. And as soon as Denver caught them, the body language was just awful. And yeah. you, knew they were, you knew they were done when the game was tied. And, um, and I don't think that's going to change with that group of players. I, don't, I think that mix of players just doesn't work. You see the, the sniping now going on off the record with Kawhi wants a point guard. No one likes each other. We had these issues in the bubble. Uh, we didn't want to be – we wanted to get out of the bubble but decided to stay because for whatever reason. That, that's, a, that's like Philadelphia West. So it's an odd mix of people. Yeah, there were there were two teams that didn't want to play um, after the after the Kenosha shooting and after the Bucks boycott. One was the Lakers and one was the Clippers. And to his credit, Doc Rivers kind of kind of convinced everybody, hey, you know, let's stay and let's find a way to turn this into uh, into something positive. And then that's when uh, a bunch of NBA arenas became uh, voting centers. And you know, we'll see how that turns out. I think we got uh, today's. The 20th of October, so November 3rd is right around the corner. I'm sure Canada is watching the U.S. election. Oh, <laughs> Doug. oh yeah, pretty close because I'm about to subdivide my backyard and build four one-bedroom apartments. Things <laughs> go south on November 3rd. <laughs> He's Doug Smith. He covers the Toronto Raptors for the Toronto Star. You can uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Smith Raps. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sheridan Hoops. Uh, I've just joined BasketballNews.com. Uh, we're going to become your go-to website for for uh, all things basketball news. Got a great staff led by Alex Kennedy, our managing editor. Uh, Alex has been around Hoops World, Hoops Hype, BasketballInsiders.com. He's got a new gig. I've got a new gig. We're pretty excited about it. Doug, you got a new book. Um, I do. It's called We the North. And, folks, you can buy it on Amazon.com. You can buy it in bookstores. It's uh, 
published by Penguin Random, and it's 25 years of stories about the Toronto Raptors. And uh, anybody who's ever been around Doug knows Doug has a few stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, but some of them couldn't even get in print. Yeah, I don't think the Georgie Murasan story made it into the print. <laughs> no, um, most are most are staying on barstool time. Yes, but uh, give us a, an example of one of your one of your funnier Raptor stories uh, that that is included in the book. Oh, there was the epic drinking to forget tour at the end of the sixteen and sixty six season, the third year of the Raptors. Uh, Bill Harris, a beat writer from Channel Sun, and I were on a road trip that went Milwaukee, Atlanta, Washington, Philly. They lose in Milwaukee. They lose in Atlanta. And during the game, Oliver Miller is goofing around with Harry the Hawk, the mascot. Which Carter, the coach, doesn't take kindly to this. Neither does Butch's brother, Chris, who happened to be in the arena and now wants to fight Oliver. Now, that fight doesn't happen. And we go to Washington and they suspend Oliver for a game for conduct detrimental to the team. We go up to Philly the next night or two nights later, and all of a sudden, just before the game, uh, they're wheeling Oliver out of the locker room on a stretcher because he has some heart palpitations. And Christian Oliver, he was he was not the most svelte guy in the history of basketball. Um, and at the end of it, Phil Jasner, the late, great Phil Jasner, said to a, a member of the Raptors staff, don't worry, they're taking him to this place. They have some of the best heart doctors in Pennsylvania, some of the best heart facilities in the world. And a guy looks at us and says, if they hide up, find a heart in that, blah, 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 they ought to take it out. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's, how we ended, that's how we ended one of the worst uh, seasons in basketball history. Yeah. God rest his soul, Phil Jazzer. His son, Andy, is still hanging oh. around the Sixers and, uh, and, and, and doing good stuff. Um, I want to ask you another story. Because um, <clears throat> you covered the new coach of the Brooklyn Nets, Steve Nash an awful lot with Canada basketball and team Canada. Um, although you missed the qualifying tournament. In I, did, I, I did. Yes, I did. As you remind me every time we talk. Yes. Well, there were no Canadian journalists there the night that Canada qualified for the Olympics. And so an American covered it. Um, but uh, tell us how you think uh, Steve Nash is going to, is going to do. He's never uh, been a head coach at any level before. And now he's got Kevin Durant and, uh, and Kyrie Irving and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. He's got a, a heck of a team in Brooklyn. Um, and he's never done this before. How do you think that plays out? I think he's smart enough to know what he doesn't know, and I think he'll surround himself with a very good staff, and I think he'll do a great job. I mean, you, you know Steve as well as I do. He's a great people person. He's a smart guy. He knows how to deal with men as colleagues, athletes, and people, and, and I, think it, I think it was relatively an inspired hire. I, no one saw it coming. It came right out of the blue, but I think it's a great hire for the Nets, and you know, I know Sean Marks, ex-Raptor Sean Marks. I've known him forever. I think he sees in Steve the kind of leadership qualities you need an NBA head coach right now because, frankly, the X's and O's are the X's and O's. Everybody runs the same stuff, basically. I think Steve can reach people at a different level and inspire them to greatness. It's, a, it's an odd group of players. I don't know how Kyrie's going to mix with everybody once he plays a lot because he's an odd duck. But I think Steve is the right kind of guy to get the most out of that staff. He keeps guys grounded um, because he's so down to earth. Um, I think he reaches people on a, on a very basic, very human level where um, he's not like a huge ego guy and he's coaching no. huge ego guys, but he, he, he brings people down to earth. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. I think he knows how to reach high ego guys or, or you know, type a personalities and make them work for the common, for the collective good. And, and I think, 
in this day and age, that's what NBA coaches do best. Good NBA coaches do best. And I, I have no doubt he'll be successful. Another Canada basketball question. Canada, is, if Canada is able to put together uh, a roster of NBA players, you know, it, it, you could have, I mean, you name it for us. You could have, uh, you could have 10 guys that are, that are damn good. I mean, from R.J. Barrett to, to Andrew Wiggins, you know, Andrew Nicholson's from Canada. Um, there's a bunch of, uh, of draft prospects in the 21 draft that are uh, coming out of Ontario. Um, you think uh, if there is a Tokyo Olympics that Canada uh, not only will qualify but will compete for a medal? I'm not sure they're going to have the time to. I don't know that the NBA is going to be able to be in Tokyo because of the timing of the schedule. But you look at a Canadian team, you got Jamal Murray, Jay Gildas Alexander, R.J. Barrett, Dwight Powell, Kelly Olynyk, Mel Edgem. You got a bunch of guys playing in Europe who are really good. It's a very, it could be a, a great team. And Nick Nurse is going to coach it. So you've got some, you've got some cash on the coaching staff. But I don't know that there's going to be a time this year for them to get together and qualify. They got to win one of the 16 last gas tournaments, which is going to be in Canada, so that's a boost. But even if they get to Tokyo, which of those NBA guys are going to be able to play if their teams are still playing? But if they're all available to play, it's crazy good. It is absolutely a stacked team, but it's never been together yet, so we don't know. But if you look at on paper. They got a they got a ten man twelve man roster that's it's got to be right there with the two three four fifth best teams in the, in the world. Yeah, it's, this is this is a year of unknowns, and I think there's going to be more of it next year. Talking with Jerry Colangelo, who's still running USA Basketball, he said, "Look, we're we're playing it day by day. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long the NBA season is going to be, when it's going to start, where it's going to be played. But if they play eighty two games straight through, I may have to pick a team from uh, you know a week before." camp opens from teams that have been eliminated from the, the playoffs just a couple days earlier. Um, so you talk about building a team on the fly. Uh, Canada's going to have to do it. The United States is going to have to do it. And then all the, the rest of the teams from around the world, you know, uh, Serbia, their best player uh, is Nikola Jokic. He may be playing with Canada's best player, Jamal Murray, uh, and advancing in the playoffs and become unavailable uh, to get to Tokyo in time to, to be listed on the, on the last roster. So. Jerry Colangelo said one thing that, that he's really hoping to see is the International Olympic Committee is flexible on the date that you have to submit your roster. Because if, if the IOC is as the IOC usually is, they'll have a deadline and they'll stick with their deadline. And if it's bad for the American Federation, well, that's all the better. Because I think quite <laughs> deep down, yeah. uh, the IOC and FIBA like it when the United States uh, has competition. I'm not going to say they want to see the United States lose, but they, they like it when Team USA has strong competition and uh, basketball is not a runaway. Um, your thoughts on that, Doug? Yeah, I, I think you know, I, I think FIBA will do whatever the Americans want and whatever is best for American basketball, but I do think the IOC will be – the IOC cares about the IOC. And they don't really give a rat's ass what FIBA gets done or doesn't get done. I, I do think the timing is going to be, even as Jerry said, if he's got a week to get put together a team of guys whose teams are just eliminated from the playoffs, how willing are they going to want to give up six or seven weeks to go play in Tokyo in what would be a subpar Olympics? So I, the Olympic issue this year is really, really clouded. I think at some point FIBA is just going to say, you know what? We want our World Cup to be the thing we'll see in 2023. 
Yeah, it, it, it remains to be seen. You know, an Olympics held in front of no people uh, would be, you know, would be really odd to watch. There are athletes in other sports that prepare their entire lives uh, to, you know, to compete for, for one day. And, uh, and they want to do it on, in, uh, in front of their, you know, the, the folks from back home on TV, and they want to do it in front of fans. Uh, in a foreign country where where it feels like someone's actually watching you, and I don't know, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think NBA guys. It's one thing to ask them to go to Orlando to win an NBA championship. It's quite another thing to ask them to give up six weeks and fly halfway around the world to play in front of nobody for an Olympic medal. I, I think that's going to be a hard sell uh, at the end of whatever next season the NBA looks like. Yeah, it was a hard sell in 2019 to get them to, to get the Americans to go over to China for the World Cup. Uh, where where they didn't do so well, and um, you know Jerry Colangelo was forever fighting that battle. What's the best team I can get with guys that are going to buy in and want to be there? Um, there yeah. One thing he has going for him is there's a lot of guys in the USA basketball program that have come up through the under 16 team and the under 18 team, and hey, you got a chance to win hey. a gold medal in the Olympics. They, that thing, that kind of opportunity doesn't come around all that often, and uh, did, and that's really what Jerry appeals to them. We, we covered the biggest flame-out in the history of American basketball in Indiana in 2002. Yeah. That World Championship was an abomination for USA basketball. Yes, and we have some good memories uh, of that. You talk about uh, John Marks. He played for a, a New Zealand team that finished ahead of the United States. The U.S. finished sixth. And Sean played with Perro Cameron, who was a, uh, a – <laughs> Just a heck of a basketball player, but he looked like a, a rugby player. player. Yeah, he looked like a rugby player, and um, they called themselves the Tall Blacks. And every night they were at the Slippery Noodle and closing the place uh, with, with a lot of fans. And uh, I remember the gold medal game. It was Argentina against Yugoslavia, and pretty much every Serb from Canada made the drive uh, down to Indianapolis. Yep. And, uh, and the streets were just mobbed with Serbs. And the Americans were already gone because they had lost the fifth, sixth game the previous night. And Indianapolis was, looked like Belgrade. And, uh, you know, you, there's certain things you, you just don't forget. And why don't you tell the story of the, the night that the American team left, Doug, at the Westin? Uh, well, they wanted, like, the police escort to get out of town in such a hurry. Everybody hated each other. George Carl coached that team, and he only drank at the Wild Wings across the street. He never went to the lobby bar. We have, there was remember the night we were in that Western lobby bar in Indy, me, you, and Liz Robbins mm -hmm. sitting at the end of the center table away from the USA basketball people, and Greg Popovich. Remember, Pop walked by us with a bottle of wine, and Pop yep, he dropped it on his, his table. Dropped it on his table, and said, "Here, you guys can't afford this, but enjoy it." <laughs> Which was thanks, Pop. We really appreciate it. it was, as I remember, it was pretty good. It was but good. Yeah, that, that team was like uh, Paul Pierce used to walk down the road to the Marriott to drink in the champions because he didn't want to be around his teammates. <laughs> and that, that night there were limos coming uh, one after the other, after the other to the West and to get the American players out of there. They had had enough. Um, and they were all going to O'Hare to catch their flights home. Exactly. So not all USA basketball experiences end great. And, uh, <laughs> but that was, that was what led to Jerry Colangelo taking over the yeah. federation and, um, you know, bad things happened for them in 2004 in Japan at the World Championship, but uh, they haven't lost since then. They lost to Greece in the semifinals, and they finished with a bronze. And uh, they, well, I should say they hadn't lost since then until until the World Cup. Um, so we'll see. The Olympics yeah. are up in the air. The NBA season is up in the air. 
Serge Ibaka's future, Fred VanVleet's free future, uh, it's all up in the air. The only thing we know for certain is that we can buy We the North, the brand new book <laughs> that's been released today, October 20th, 2020. On, and you can buy it on Amazon.com or you can actually be a human and walk into a bookstore, wear a mask and ask the clerk for a copy of We the North. I'm going to make sure they stock it at the bookstore where my son works, Doug. I hope so. I appreciate that very much, sir. He's Doug Smith. Again, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Smith Raps. I'm Chris Sheridan from Basketball News. You can follow me on Twitter at Sheridan Hoops. Doug, I want to thank you for taking time out of a busy Tuesday to join us. And um, we hope to, to see you down the road, of course, and, uh, and, and get together, hopefully, in, uh, in Tokyo next year prior to the gold medal game. And we'll bet a loony or a toony on uh, who wins the U.S.-Canada game. Uh, that'd be a great idea. Make sure you get all your friends out voting. Just get them out and do the damn right thing. Um, don't get me started on voting. <laughs> all right, man. Th- thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks for coming on. And uh, that's going to be a wrap. We'll see you on the next edition of the Sheridan Show, folks. Thanks for tuning in.